God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you ordain all things together for the good of those who love you. Lord, we pray that you would lead us as we study your word, as we read and think about your word, Lord. I pray that you would transform our hearts through your word by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you fill me with your spirit, Lord, and help me to speak the words that you want your church to hear right now. I pray, Lord, that your son Jesus would be glorified, that we would all be able to see Jesus and rejoice in him, worship him, give him the glory. Please guide us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, in Mexico, I don't know other countries in the world, but in uh, other uh, Spanish-speaking countries in the world, but in Mexico, the word alien is uh, strictly used for extraterrestrial um, beings. And so you can imagine my surprise when I learned that according to immigration law, I'm, I'm an alien. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a resident alien, right? But I'm still an alien. So that was super weird to me, right? Think, think about someone telling you, hey, actually, under the law, you are an extraterrestrial um, being. That, that's right. But now here, here is the kicker. Here, here is, the, uh, here is the, the news, the surprise. According to Ephesians chapter 2, we all were aliens. We were all strangers. We used to not belong to God's people, to God's family. We were all aliens. Of course, we, you know, here we have a, a different meaning for alien. But uh, the point is that according to this passage, neither of us belonged. We were all outsiders. So, you know, there are two aspects of what it means to be saved. Last week, we asked the question, what does it mean to be saved? And so, you know, in a, in a good old uh, catechesis kind of fashion, today we're going to ask the follow-up question, what else does it mean to be saved? I love it when the catechisms do that, right? Like, they ask a question, you give the answer, and it's like, well, what else is in this question? So, last week, we asked the question, what does it mean to be saved? And this week, we asked the question, what else? Does it mean to be saved? And we are going to be talking about two sides of the same coin, two aspects of salvation. Last week, the answer to the question, what does it mean to be saved, was salvation means that God has brought us from death to life in Christ. Right? Salvation means that we were dead and God raised us up with Christ and he seated us in the heavenly places with Christ and now we are alive in Christ. So that is one aspect of salvation. But the answer to, to this follow-up question today is that at salvation, Jesus brought us from, be, from being aliens to being citizens of God's kingdom. Again, what else does it mean to be saved? At salvation, Jesus brought us from being aliens to being citizens of God's 
kingdom. Many of us, I would say a lot of us, especially here in, in the West, we think more individual, in, or I should say in this individualistic culture, we tend to emphasize the first aspect of salvation. What do I mean by this? Well, here in our individualistic society, we like the idea that salvation is a personal thing. We like the idea that salvation is an individual thing, right? We like the idea that salvation means that I, as an individual, was dead, but now through the work of Jesus on the cross, I am alive. And that is, that is really good. That is amazing. That is incredible news. But I like that this second aspect of salvation really forces us, forces us out of that individualistic mindset, and it brings us into more of a community aspect, and it makes us realize that salvation is not only a personal, individual thing, but salvation is also a communal thing. It's, salvation is when God brings us from not belonging to his people, when God brings us from not belonging to his family, and he brings us and makes us a part of that wider community. I think the reason why the church here in the U.S. struggles so much with people not wanting to commit to church is because we overly emphasize the first aspect. We emphasize, oh yeah, you know, it's just between me and Jesus. It's just me and the Holy Spirit. I don't have to gather with the church. I don't, I don't have to be with anyone else. It's just me, my Bible, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But I think that we need to be reminded of the second aspect of well, as well of saying, no, 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 salvation is more than that. Salvation is not just in this individualistic thing, but salvation is God bringing us from not belonging, from being aliens, from being strangers, bringing us into a part of a community of people, bringing us into a people. So let us... Uh, we're going we're gonna to divide this passage into three sections. And, and I do want to apologize that because we're not going to deal with the last few verses. And unfortunately, uh, our schedule for the month is, is already there, is already set. Jordan is going to be preaching next week. And so it's not like I can say, don't worry, next week we're going to talk about this. I'm thinking once we, once we finish what we have scheduled, I'm thinking sometime in September, we're going to go back to, to the last few verses of this chapter. Uh, the reason why I'm not doing this is just because I wanted to spend more time talking about those last few verses, and, and I just don't feel like I can do justice to them right now. Um, so the kind of the outline that we're going to see today is really three things. Number one, we need to remember that we were aliens, or, or let me put it in the second person. Remember that you were aliens. Number two, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you were aliens. Now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And lastly, the result. So then you are now citizens. So let's read the passage, and then we will dig into it. Into it. Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 11, and, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated 
from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So the first part of this sermon is, is Paul is calling us to remember that we were aliens. He is calling us to remember that we did not belong. Even notice that he repeats that remember twice. In verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And then number two, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is really, really emphasizing. He really wants the Ephesians to remember that they used to not be a part of God's people. They used to not be, more specifically, they used to not be a part of the people of Israel, which is God's chosen people, right? And so he is saying the Messiah did not belong to you, right? Messiah was the hope of the people of Israel. Messiah did not belong to you. You were separated from Messiah, from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. None of the promises that God made to Israel used to belong to us. None of the promises, none of the, the, the promise of land, the promise of a king, the promise of peace, the promise of all of the promises that you can think of that God made to the people of Israel, they used to not belong to us. We were alienated from those promises. We were alienated from, from the inheritance of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. All of the covenants that God made with, with Abraham, with King David, with Moses, with all of those, you know, with all those people, they did not belong to us. We were foreign. We were alienated to that. And so Paul really, you know, he puts it in, in, in summary, he, he says, basically, we were hopeless and we were godless in this world. We didn't have hope in this world. We didn't have God in this world. Now, this is interesting, right? Because it's not like the Gentiles didn't worship other gods. It's not like the Gentiles were atheists. 
But the problem is that when you realize that God, the God of Israel, is the only true God, then it doesn't matter what other God you worship, you are hopeless. It doesn't matter what other God you put your trust in, you are godless. You are without God. And so why, why does Paul want us to remember this? Right? You know, especially Paul, the one that says, you know, I forget what lies behind and I look, I look forward. Why would he be calling us to remember this? Well, you know, I, I'm sure there are many reasons. One of the reasons that I, that, I, that I think of is that the grace of God, the work of Jesus on the cross, only looks greater. It's only magnified by remembering where we came from. Right? When you, when you look back and remember, why, yes, I, I did not belong to God's people. You know, I, I, I know most of you, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of you has any, you know, Jewish background or, or anything like that, Jewish blood in you, or at least not, you know, officially. So I think all of us could say safely, no, we did not belong to God's people. We were not born into the people of Israel. We were hopeless. And so this helps us magnify the grace of God. This helps us magnify the work of Jesus on the cross when we remember. So I think it is good for us to every once in a while remember where we came from. That's what we did last week as well, right? We remembered that we used to be dead. We remember that we used to be, uh, you know, without hope. We used to be uh, walking, following, following the world, following the devil, following our own flesh. We were absolutely hopeless. And remember the, the, the words of, um, of Paul in verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And so I think this, you know, I, I don't want to add anything to the Bible, but I would say, I would, I would make, if I had the chance to write something there, I would probably say, even when we were aliens, even when we were, when we were strangers to God's people, Christ died for us. He saved us. And that is exactly what we see in, um, in verse 13. Here is another contrast, right? We found one contrast in chapter 2, verse 4, right? Paul is describing that we were dead, that we were following the prince of the air, etc. And then in verse 4, it says, but God, this is what God did. And so we have something similar here in verse 13. He has been describing that we did not belong that we were enemies or, you know, that we were uh, uh, aliens, that we, we did not have any part in, with God's people, with God's family. And then in verse 13, we see, but now in Christ. Here's the contrast. Here's the really, really good news. And I think this is ultimate, I would say this is the summary, the gospel summary of this passage. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think this is the heart of the matter. In Christ Jesus, we who were far off, who were far away, who did not belong, we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The only reason why we could, we could count ourselves with God's people is because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. This is the gospel that Jesus died 
not only to give us eternal life, that's one that we emphasize a lot, which I think is really good, but Jesus also died to make us a part of God's people. I suspect that many of us grew up, or those of us that grew up in church, I suspect that maybe as children, we heard a lot of our teachers say, Jesus died on the cross to give you life. Jesus died on the cross to, uh, to give you eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to save you from hell. But how many of you heard your Sunday school teacher saying, Jesus died for us so that he would make us a part of God's people? Jesus died on the cross for us so that we who did not belong are now a part of God's family. And so Paul goes on to summarize, uh, or to, I should say, to expound on the things that Jesus did for us, right? So the summary is, or the bottom line is, this happened by the blood of Christ. He brought us near. But then he expounds on, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean that he has brought us near? And so in verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our, you know, if we take Jewish, uh, if we take Jewish uh, uh, kind of thought, Jesus is our, our shalom. If we take maybe Roman uh, mindset, I don't know if this is what Paul had in mind, but I know that the Romans were, were big on peace, right? They, they used to preach the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, and that was kind of their, their motto. Whenever they would go and conquer all of these nations, they would boast that they were bringing the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. And so Paul is using this word that is, that is regarded both by Romans and by, and by Jews as this incredible principle, and he's saying, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the one who ultimately brings peace. And how, how does he do that? Well, he says that he broke down, well, he made us both one. So he made out of the two people, he made one out of the Jews and the Gentiles. He made one. And it says that he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The way that a lot of the the Jewish laws worked, a lot of them were designed specifically to keep the nation of Israel separated from the nations around them. A lot of the laws in the Old Testament, a lot of the laws that God gave the people of Israel in Sinai, they were designed specifically to keep them unique, to keep them separated, and to keep the rest of the world, in a sense, distinct from the people of Israel. Now, this doesn't mean that a Gentile could not be included in the family of God, but if a Gentile wanted to be included in the family of God, he or she would have to completely abandon their culture and they would have to, uh, to, to become a part of the Israelite culture. Their, the, the, their men would have to circumcise. They would have to follow all of Israelite culture. But Paul here is saying that Jesus now has broken down that wall of hostility. I wonder if he had in mind the wall that was in the temple that prevented Gentiles from entering the place of worship in the temple. And so he's saying Jesus has broken that down. Now Gentiles have access to the presence of God. 
just like the people of Israel had access to the presence of God in the tabernacle, in the temple, Jesus has broken down that wall of hostility. And now us, Gentiles, who used to not belong, now we can enter God's presence with confidence. Now we can enter. And then it says that he did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, this is a difficult one because some people would say, oh, see, the entire law has been abolished. We are under grace now. Now, I don't, you know, why did I do that? I, I just put myself into a difficult situation. But basically, I don't think that Jesus has, you know, completely disregarded the law and said, okay, the law is good for nothing and let's forget about the law completely. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. We can, we can talk a little bit more about the use of the law maybe at another time. But what I think that he's saying is saying all of those laws that were specifically designed to keep the people of Israel and the Gentiles separated, he has, he has, uh, um, he has fulfilled those laws. He has, he has um, finished those laws. He is saying these laws are no longer necessary because now the way that people worship God is not through a physical temple, but now people worship God in spirit and in truth. And so the laws that would keep Israelites separated from Gentiles are no longer valid. For example, we no longer have to, you know, uh, grow our, our sideburns or, you know, not shave the side of our beard. We no longer have to, to make sure that our clothes are not mixed. We no longer have to worry about not boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. I know that many of you cannot sleep over that, right? Saying, man, what's going to happen if I boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? That's why Jews don't eat at McDonald's. Because, or maybe that's why McDonald's in Israel has a dividing wall so that they can keep the dairy products separate from the meat products. Now, we don't have to worry about those things anymore because a lot of those things were designed with the specific purpose of keeping the nation of Israel separated ethnically from the rest of the world. But now that Jesus has broken down that wall, now everyone, Jews and non-Jews, have access to the presence of God through Jesus. And notice that he, in, in the second half of verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I think this is extremely important. Because it doesn't mean that, you know, the nation of Israel is here and now in Christ, all of us Gentiles have been, you know, just included in something that already existed and now we are Israel. We are the new Israel or we are, you know, we have replaced Israel. I mean, again, you know, I'm getting into really dangerous ground, not dangerous ground, but I'm getting into complicated ground here. But notice how he said that he has created something new. He has created a new man. The church is a place in which the people of Israel, the Jews, like ethnic Jews and Gentiles, can be saved together through Christ. That's one of the reasons why I, uh, um, why I don't like when, when sometimes like people really, like really, really admire Jewish culture, and you know they get one of those big, twisty horns. I don't know what it's called, like a, a shofar. Thank you. You know, I'm not saying if you want to get one of those horns, that's totally fine. That's up to you. But what I'm trying to say is becoming or adopting Jewish traditions is not going to give you any better standing before God. Because he has already gotten rid of all of those laws that were intended to keep people separated from the nation of Israel. Our salvation is not because we 
have to look more like Jews or we have to adopt Jewish customs. Our salvation is because we are in Christ Jesus. And we are a new man. We are a new creation that he has made out of the two. One of the amazing things about this piece is that it has accomplished at least two things. One of them is that this piece has reconciled us with one another, right? There used to be enmity. There used to be hostility between Jewish people and Gentiles. But now, because, of the, because Jesus, who is our peace, there is now unity. Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. There is no distinction between Jew or Greek or slave or free or man or woman. Why not? Because in Christ, we are all part of this one new family of God, of this one new people of God. And therefore, this means that we should not discriminate against one another in the church. This means that we should love our brothers and our sisters. This means that we should not give preference to one person over another in the church. Because if we truly are one new family, one new people, notice what he says. I'm going to get ahead a little bit, but notice what he says in verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And he's going to touch on that later on in in chapter 4. He's going to talk about the idea of having one spirit. But think about it. The same spirit through whom you have access to the Father is the same spirit that your brother and sister has. Therefore, if you are diminishing your brother and sister, if you are thinking less of them, if you are angry against your brother and sister, if you have an ongoing beef with your brother and sister, remember that it is the same Holy Spirit that both of you have. If you call yourself a Christian, you cannot be a divisive person. If you call yourself a Christian and you have an ongoing problem, an ongoing issue with a brother and sister, you need to go and reconcile today. Because God has created one new man out of two different people. And that means that there is unity in the body. But another thing that this piece has accomplished is that it has reconciled us with God. So this piece has reconciled us with one another, and it has also reconciled us with God. We used to be his enemies. We used to not belong to his people. But now, because of Jesus, who is our peace, we have access to the Father through the Spirit. And so what is the result of this? Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Remember how it started? It said, remember, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers. And now after the work of Jesus in the middle, notice what the result is. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Because of the work of Jesus, we went from being foreigners, we went from being aliens, we went from not belonging to being fellow citizens with the king with the people of God, being fellow citizens in 
the kingdom of God. I think this is something that we don't think about often enough. You know, going back to the to the to what I said at the beginning about, you know, myself being being an alien. Well, if I ever become an American citizen, or you know, hopefully when I become an American citizen, I don't know, but and I think I've said this before, but uh the Mexican American War. A lot of Americans don't even are not even don't even think about this war that much. It, it was that small. But uh, for us Mexicans, it's a big deal. We're very, we're very uh, bitter about this. Um, if I become a citizen, all of the history of this country, all of the history of the United States, all of a sudden becomes my history as well, right? If I become a citizen, I used to not belong, but then all of a sudden, I am a part of this nation, and 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 all of a sudden, I can, you know, I can look back and at the Constitution and and the, the founding fathers, and then I can even look at the, at the Mexican-American war, and, you know, my Mexican side in me is, is still going to be a little bit bitter, but my American side would be like, hey, we won the war, right? <laughs> um, so what is my point here? My point here is that we don't realize what it means, or sometimes we don't realize, we don't think often enough about what it means for us to be brought into God's family. Again, we, we think too much in our Western individualistic kind of mentality where we say, okay, yeah, in my lifetime, you know, I was not a follower of God. I was a, a, apart from God, but now I am with him and that's all that matters. But if we take this into consideration, it means that we, in, you know, 2022, we get to be a part of a greater history of, some, of, of such a rich history. We get to be a part of God's people. We can look back to Adam and Eve when God promised to them that, that from the seed of the woman, a Savior would come. And we could, we could trace that history and we could look at, at when God chose Abraham and when he called him. And we can look at when God delivered the people from Israel. And we could look at all of the history of Israel in the Bible and say, in Christ, that is my history as well. In Christ, I belong to God's people. I used to be an outsider, but in Christ, I am a part of something way, way bigger than myself. And I think that this should help us to maybe get a little bit out of our, or outside of ourselves, out of our self-centeredness, and start thinking in the bigger picture. Let me give you a, 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 a practical implication here. When we start thinking in the bigger picture, when we realize that our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, we are going to think differently about our Amer American citizenship or our Mexican citizenship or, or whatever citizenship you have. Because one of the things that I have noticed, and, and you know, uh, there's a really positive aspect here, but I have noticed that, that, you know, Americans really, really love their country, which, you know, I think, I think that's great. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your country, but I do think that sometimes Americans are at risk of idol, idolizing their country because, and, and I believe that this happens, I'm, I'm talking about Christian Americans, I believe that this happens because we do not have that greater perspective in mind. 
we think that we belong to something big, but that big thing that we belong to is America. But we need to realize that we belong to something even greater than this country. We belong to the kingdom of God. I made allusion to, to, to that Roman piece, to the Pax Romana. I don't know if this is what Paul had in mind, but he was a Roman citizen. He was a citizen of the most powerful empire in the world at the time. But he knew that there was a way, way, way more important citizenship. He never made a big deal about being a Roman citizen. I mean, he did use it to get out of trouble a couple of times. But his hope was not in the triumph of the Roman Empire. His hope was not in, in Roman exceptionalism. No, because he was a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he knew that God's blessing, God's salvation was for the entire world, not just for the Roman Empire, not just for the nation of Israel, but God's salvation is for all people, for all the world. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you should, uh, um, you know, not, not like America or that you should go against America. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think that we all should seek the welfare of our city, the welfare of our country. We should love our, the place where God has placed us. We should be involved, but we should be involved with a greater perspective in mind. We should vote with a greater perspective in mind. We should engage in political debate with a greater perspective in mind, knowing that, yes, it would be amazing if our country, you know, became a better country. It would be amazing if our country uh, uh, were to go back to maybe some of the Christian roots that it had. But ultimately, our final hope is not in the triumph of America. Our final hope is in the gospel being spread through all the world. Our final hope is the glory of God being known in all the world. And I like, I like that Hazel is really, really taking in that message. I think I got an amen out of Hazel. <laughs> so remember that you were aliens. You did not belong. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are citizens of a much bigger nation than America or Mexico or the Roman Empire or even the nation of Israel. We belong to the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God and Jesus is our king. And he accomplished this citizenship for us through his blood on the cross. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he went to the cross. That when he shed his blood for us, he made it possible for us to become citizens of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this country, for the United States. We thank you for the privilege that it is to live here, to be citizens of this country, or to, or people like me who are not quite citizens, but we are enjoying a lot of the privileges here, Lord. But I do pray that as a church, you give us a greater perspective. That as a church, you remind us that we belong to something greater than this country, to something greater than ourselves. We belong to the kingdom of God. 
And it is all thanks to your son, Jesus, and his sacrifice on the cross. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.